What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a White Night Pod, part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. And joining me today, Sean Walsh, is Jude Summerfield. Jude, how you doing, mate? Yeah, decent, mate. No complaints. All good here. How you doing? Yeah, all right. It's a real shame that we're not in the office for this one like we were last week. It was nice to have a nice catch-up and talk about Spurs in person like that. Yeah, slag each other off to each other's faces. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I can't say anything over Zoom, nothing. <laughs> Game's gone mad. Uh and back with us this week is one Dan Kilpatrick. Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. Okay, that's it. Go <laughs> <laughs> <Got> more. <laughs> I'm very good. I'm glad. I'm glad. You said you saying off air that you've moved house in the last time since you're on. Uh, I have. I won't bore people with the details, but I have indeed moved house. Um, so yeah, that's been slightly stressful. But yeah, other than that. Uh, I'm good. I feel like the last time you were on, it must have been when we were in the middle of our winning run where we looked like the best team in the world. So it does feel like a lot of time has passed since then. Yeah, I suppose Spurs have gone from me thinking they might go into the derby with a genuine cushion, being able to potentially even lose the game and still be ahead of Arsenal to the complete opposite being true and Spurs actually going for Derby with Arsenal have a cushion, having a cushion and being able to lose uh, and still be in fourth. Um, so, yeah, a lot has happened. Um, yeah, just Brighton and Brentford, I feel like those games have been dissected to death already. But I just think whatever happens in the, the run-in there, the two, that everyone will look back on at the end of the season if Spurs don't finish fourth. Yeah, I think I was in York camp where I was like, I really believed that, after, especially after that Villa win, I think it was when we went a few points clear and it was like, we could really go into the derby. That could be the clincher. It could be like one of the best nights that the new stadium has seen. And now it could be the opposite since a win for Arsenal would clinch it for them. Uh, we'll come on to Arsenal a bit. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We'll start with an, a really intriguing Liverpool game where... Uh, Really, we needed to win to keep pace with Arsenal, but we got a point. We got a good point, and I think we played really well. Jude, what were your 
how did you feel going into the game and what were your main takeaways from the game? Um, well, I went into it thinking the same thing I usually do when we play Liverpool away, which is like, when's the sucker punch coming? Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was sort of mildly optimistic in that Spurs would get space in the game and, you know, they were taking on a bit of a fatigued Liverpool team um, who are going to have played like every game possible this season or something ridiculous like that. Um, but yeah, and, and they did everything right, um, really, throughout the game. They closed off space for Liverpool and they and they uh, made it tough and they got their goal. It's just a shame that, you know, Anfield sort of sucked the ball in to the back of the net for them. But it is what it is. Yeah, I guess you knew a goal was going to come. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel even at 1-0 where... <sighs> I know they had a lot of the ball and they had some decent chance, but it didn't feel like... I didn't feel in total danger. I felt. I think it might be because in the week I was talking myself up that we had a genuine shot, that we were the perfect team who could go to Anfield in this situation and really expose Liverpool. And um, so the way in which they scored really annoying, but it is what it is. Dan, did you have like the same kind of confidence going into it? Yeah, I mean, when you say a goal was coming, I agree, but I hadn't ruled out that goal being for Spurs. At 1-0. Mm. Uh, so when Klopp brought on uh, Simicas and Jota uh, for Robertson and, and Henderson, I think, you know, you you immediately think, first of all, Emerson Royale must have had a good game if, if Robertson's being hooked early, which which he did, and I'm sure we'll come on to him. Yeah. But secondly, I just thought, well, they're going for it now, which they had to, they had to do that. And there would be way more space in the midfield for Spurs to kind of counter through um, and yeah so, so I, I totally thought at that point to be honest I thought next goal would win so I thought if Liverpool would get one back they would probably get a second which didn't prove the case but at 1-0 I certainly thought Spurs were more than capable of getting another one and, and sort of killing off the game um, you know it, it, again I think we, we may come into this in more detail but just once Henderson went off, it, it was kind of a crying shame again that Fabinho hadn't been booked for one of those challenges in the first mm. half because it, it just guaranteed him one more chance to, to stop a counter-attack. And, and I wonder if he was on a booking, whether Klopp would have been so bold as, as to, to take off Henderson in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was it was really finely balanced. It was it was a really tense game. It was, it was probably the, the, the tensest I've, I've kind of been just watching any game um, for, for a long time. Um, it was a, a great game, a really interesting game. And I think Spurs thoroughly deserved the point and, and could probably count themselves a bit unlucky they didn't win. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there, Dan, about Emerson's performance. I think all five of the defenders were excellent. So if you want to, you want to take Emerson, you, you lead the way with him and maybe Sessegnon on the wing-back play with how great Yeah, well, I thought it was Emerson's best game for Spurs hands down uh, mm. in many respects largely because I've come to think of him as quite a serious weak link in the setup and he just <laughs> didn't you know so, so there is a low bar I think we have to acknowledge that but he just didn't disappoint I thought he was really good defensively he had a tough ask up against Diaz and, and obviously uh, Robertson who had a quiet game um, but he was just 
from the from the first kind of few minutes, you, you could just see that he looked up for the challenge of coping with the Liverpool press. Like he was getting squeezed on the touchline, you know, really tight from the off. And he managed to kind of worm his way or, or wiggle his way out of the situations. And I thought, okay, he he started this game well and he and he carried on. And and I think he was he was good. I mean his final ball was was still lacking a few times. I think there were a couple of times where he could have, you know, put it on a plate for Son or a better cross into the box would have, you know, made a chance because Spurs had numbers in there. Um, but what impressed me quite a lot about him and Sessegnon was they were also isolated a, a few times and high up the pitch with the ball at their feet. And I just thought, it happened a couple of times in the second half with both of them. And I just thought, don't lose the ball here because... If you do, you know Liverpool are going to break, and, and that you're up the pitch and out of position. It's, it's going to mean danger. But they were both quite canny, and I think most of the time they managed to make sure Spurs either want to throw in or a corner from those kind of positions, which was which was intelligent play. Um, and yeah, and, and I think Sessegnon looked mature. Um, he, he fouled Salah when he had to to foul him in the second half, and, and I think probably got booked, but I can't remember. Um, and, and it attacked well and, and got the assist. And I think it was a performance where, where you can kind of see the reasons why Conte obviously quite likes Sessignon and, and has talked him up. So good that he kept his cool when he got the ball um, for the goal as well. Because mm. like, there have been a few occasions in his first career when you know, he hasn't picked out the right pass. And but that, that was just like a, a perfect team. I don't know if either of you felt the same, but as soon as... Kane picked the ball up there. You could sort of see the runners to the left, and I was just like, "Goal!" Which is like a feeling I never get when we play a Liverpool because there's always something that that's gonna go go off. But um, yeah, it was so good that Sessegnon kept his head and managed to stick it across the sun. Another goal for Sonny. The man's on fire. Ridiculous. Just can't stop. That's twenty in the league for him. That's the first time that he's reached twenty in the league. Uh, Spurs did a post the other day where they set, they went through a very short list of Tottenham players to have reached 20 goals in the Premier League era. Uh, it's, I believe it's Teddy Sheringham, Jürgen Klisman, Gareth Bale, and then Harry Kane five times. So, <laughs> so in very elite company there, Son. Um, Dan, you haven't been on when I've been like cheerleading for Son in the last few weeks. Do you want to go through what you've made of his development as a out-and-out goal scorer this season? Yeah, well, I've I, I, want hear, I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear another properly professional opinion about this. I want to hear it. Well, I've definitely stolen your your opinion. I think you you were very <laughs> you you were very kind of quick off the mark to say that yeah he he seems like a different type of player this season, which I think is a a smart observation. Um, he you know, he seems to be kind of less involved in in games um, and just kind of more on the end of stuff um, or. or yeah, either scoring or assisting. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he 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 had a wretched run of form, which um, you know that culminated, or should we say, peaked or troughed, or whatever however you want to call it, with the Middlesbrough game. Where I thought he was he could barely trap a ball, um, <laughs> and I think uh, that, that you know there, there was a period where you just thought, you know, does he need a rest? And, and you know, I almost infamously asked Conte if he would ever rest on, <laughs> which led him to, he wasn't crazy, um, which obviously yeah, it's made me look a bit stupid since, but I, I, I promise you it was kind of from a, a logical place in my, in my head. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's great, and I think what increasingly the narrative around him um, is is that he's underrated. And you know, I kind of generally hate overrated, underrated chat. It's, it's the worst sort of football chat there is, isn't it? But um, clearly, that when it comes to Son, that there's a case that he just doesn't get enough love, and he's kind of curiously underhyped, curiously underlinked with moves given. Um, you know, Spurs players in, of his calibre, i.e., Kane, Bale, Modric, etc., usually spend you know years of, of, of their time there, being constantly linked with other clubs. That that's just barely happened at all with Son. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a huge asset, a, a kind of joy, um, and and the the Liverpool game, you know, that there was kind of no player on the pitch who was more thrilling, I think, honestly. And you know, even given all the talent Liverpool had, even Salah and, and Diaz, who who are obviously great, you know, when Son was running with the ball into space and it didn't quite come off for him, but still that, that sense of anticipation a couple of times when he just, he got, you know, the afterburners going, you know, was great. And you know, that, that's, what, that's what he, he brings to the side um, as, as well as just kind of popping up with all these goals. Yeah, I, I think um, going into this one, it felt like he needed to better what Salah did, like to, to kind of keep the kind of momentum going of this. You know, he's a properly elite, world class forward. He's like he belongs in the bracket up there. My big fear was that he would come into this game and he wouldn't score, and we would lose, and Salah would get a winner or something, and it'd be like, oh, you know, that's why, that's why people mm. don't talk about Son in that way. So I'm really glad that. He did get the goal. He got the goal he deserved. Um, Salah, though, to be quite quiet. I think, you know, you always have that feeling that he can create something out of nothing. But I didn't ever really feel that we were in total danger. This is actually a good segue into my next point because in my head, I keep thinking about that one Ben Davis block and I'm all of a sudden in love with Ben Davis again. <laughs> Gentle Ben, yeah. That was a cracking block. I think there are one or two occasions where. Salah sort of got one-on-one, which he didn't get the, the chance to do for much of the game. And that was the only problem. That was the only time I was really like, shit, here we go. This might, mm. this might be when we can see. Um, but then, yeah, you had um, Sessignon who was doing a great job on him. And then Ben Davis, yeah, who's quietly had a really solid couple of weeks, I'd say. He's made a lot of blocks. Um, that one from Salah, which looked like it was heading in, was, uh, was brilliant. And um, he's come out with some fighting talk as well, I believe, from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. Yeah, Dan, did you ask him about that, about the derby and stuff? I, yeah, he, he spoke to a few of us in the mix zone afterwards. And he wasn't explosive, but he definitely put the pressure on Arsenal, which I suppose he, he, he had to do in the circumstances, even though I think we can agree the pressure is probably on Spurs on Thursday. But yeah, I thought he was very good at Anfield. And that block on Salah really epitomised the defensive display, I think, the will to get there and get something in front of it. And I think like all the the back five, really, he just seemed to be in the right place a lot. You know, he, he seemed to just, his positioning seemed, seemed very, very solid. So yeah, I think he, he had a very good game. I do think it's interesting that in the two games that we've had against Liverpool, I think there might be two of the best examples of the way that Conte has really improved the team. I think when Liverpool came to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in December, you know, that was off the back of us um, 
we had that kind of long COVID absence. We hadn't played in a while. Um, it did kind of seem like it was there for Liverpool to roll all over a Spurs who would be lacking in sharpness. That's not really what happened. Um, if anything, Liverpool really kind of hamstrung by, I think they had a couple of COVID absentees as well. But that in that game, I felt really disappointed that we didn't get the win from. I thought we played really kind of fast and loose. We made loads of chances. Uh, I think I said on last week's pod, like I was convinced that Deli Ali and Tongi and Dombele were going to stay because of it. Like I thought they were very good in that. And then in the away game, um, we were very competitive. We went toe to toe with, you know, a side that could still win a quadruple this season, which is, you know, you think about where we have been at times this season. That's amazing. So, in four, you know, in four games against Manchester City and Liverpool, the two runaway sides in this league, we've not lost a game and we've been very, very competitive in all of those encounters. And I think going forward, if Conte is to stay, then that's going to be something that will encourage him, Jude, that, that, that even before he gets the chance to really kind of refresh the squad in the way that he wants to, that there's already this basis that this team can at least do things against the very, very best. Yeah, and um, and the the idea that they've they've all got this this fight about them now, which I'm sure he would have loved, like uh, Romero at the back when he was flying, you know, flying across the the box to get his to get his headers in. That was, yeah, that was one header in particular, wasn't that? That was brilliant. Way. It just goes that. right across. I was like a heat seeking like, result to it. Yeah, it was like a, it was like skinny along the floor, and I was like, all right, so we clear that. And he just <laughs> he just dives <laughs> head first towards the ground and just like clears it out. But yeah, I, I think that those are the sort of characteristics that that might convince Conte that he's he's got the the basis to do to do something more um, with Spurs. I, I know he's talked pre frequently about how there are other monsters in the Premier League that, you know, it'll take time for Spurs to go up against them, like league position wise. But from, from the games that he's taken charge of against um, Liverpool and City, there have really only been positives. And when, you know, if we're coming out with draws and that, it's it's just been down to a few if iffy moments that, you know, if they've gone the other way, maybe we might have come up with a win. Um, but I'm sure, like the the main thing he'll be thinking about is like getting wins over teams like Brentford and Brighton and Southampton and Wolves because that's where you know Spurs don't have, they didn't I don't think they've lost their season at Anfield if they don't make the top the top four but it'll be those games where they they went through a rut and couldn't find the way through that's come back to bite them. Yeah, I mean Dan, you were saying to us how you know there there is a small camp who don't believe that this was a good point that this was a bad point and that maybe we should have gone for all three what, how do you where do you sit on that yeah I mean I, I don't know how many people actually think genuinely think it wasn't a good point but but more is there a case that Conte should have really gone for death and glory in the last 10 minutes you know having been competitive to that point you know should he have put Bergwijn on, giving him more of a go, maybe put Lucas on and just try to, to get the winner, which would have kept Champions League football in, in Spurs' hands. Obviously, the, the massive risk with that approach is that Spurs lose the game. Um, but just just given the, you know, obviously he didn't know at that point that Arsenal were going to beat Leeds, but I think, you know, you, you have to kind of assume they, they will win that game. Um, and actually given the, the table um it wouldn't be 
much worse for Spurs to be five points behind Arsenal than, than it would being four as they are now um, because they still they still need to win the derby and then hope Arsenal drop points in one of their last two games um, and, and Spurs have got a, a, a decent cushion on goal difference. Um, so I, I totally, the argument makes total sense um, from a kind of mathematical perspective. But, you know, I think the belief gained from kind of going to total Liverpool at Anfield, getting a point, ending a, a pretty depressing run of 2-1 defeats there as well, three in a row, um, will be massive for Thursday, which I think, you know, it was always going to be the more important game, is the more important game. I mean, that's the game Spurs have to win. Um, and, and going into that, you know, potentially on the back of a, a late sucker punch against Liverpool, you know, wouldn't be a, a great place to go into it, particularly as Arsenal, you know, are going in with, I think, what, four four wins in a row, four, mm. you know, four very good wins in a row as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I understood the logic, but I think, you know, Conte, um, <laughs> I think Conte really should have, the time to go for it again was, you know, the, the games against Brighton and Brentford when, you know, his subs were, were kind of, conservative or non-existent I don't think the time to go for it was was against Anfield when you're holding on for a very good point and in fact still had chances to win it you know notably that the Hoiberg opportunity and stoppage time and he just kind of miscued that was it a header down to yeah, it was header, yeah, yeah. yeah behind Kane um so yeah I, I personally think great point no problem with with the approach but um I I sort of you know understand that that from a different, there's a different perspective, which is that you might as well have gone for for death or glory at the end. Yeah, I'm very much with you in that. I mean, could you really have imagined Conte then just kind of trying to open the game up at one-one or any point in the match? Really, when you think you mentioned there, Dan, about you know should Conte have brought on Luxembourg one, but then you just look at the opposite bench and like if the game opens up, look at the kind of players that. Klopp can turn to look at the fresh legs that they're going to have and I just do not I would not have backed us to still have been in that fight if it came to a matter of like that our best way I think with you I'm right it's insane like just hold on hold on as long as you can and then just pick your moments pick and choose your moments I think that was I think that was the whole that was the plan all along I could not have imagined a scenario unless we were losing in those dying embers where the game plan gets ripped up um <laughs> I think that kind of nicely brings us yeah, nicely brings us to a couple of Liverpool-based points where we'll start with what happened in match. Um Fabinho with very much a performance pretty similar to that of Casemiro's for Real Madrid against Manchester City in the Champions League last week, where he's making a lot of cynical fouls, he's making a lot of tactical fouls. You're wondering how this guy hasn't got a booking. And then in the second half, when he does get a booking. You, you'd wonder if that's a player with maybe a different reputation. Maybe, maybe they're walking for that. Um, what did you guys th- think about that? Should he is that a red for you? Is that a, more like in between an orange or is like that in the elbow? Yeah, the, the UFC yeah. elbow to the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't appreciate that much. I sort of got more of a a Scott McTominay vibe from him. I know he's a lot better player, but just the idea that he's charging <laughs> around the pitch, just hacking everyone to death and throwing in elbows and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that that was a bit disappointing. Um, and it, it's it it was a bit of a 
we do seem we do seem to have these scrappy games at Liverpool where suddenly you know challenges are flying in and you know to be fair Romero made a very tasty challenge on Robertson in the first half which might have just um, set the blood boiling a little but yeah I, 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 like looking at Reap I know slowed down replays are a bit you know they tell one side of the story but like an elbow to the chin is just like let's have a look at that again please <laughs> please it could be quite important. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I was, I was. I think Sean's right. I think it was orangey, the Fabinho one, because you know you, he's kind of tried to step across on in a way that you know might have been shoulder to shoulder if if Son's body shape is a bit different. You know that that wasn't the problem. The, the problem was the fact that he got away with two in the first half, and you know as I said at the, the top of the show. Um, you know, that once he gets away with those two, that guarantees him the chance to just break up a, a counter attack in the second half. You know, to pick his moment and um, you know stop stop a dangerous attack, which, which he did. Um, so he should have been booked for the first one on Kane. It was kind of late. It was clearly a yellow card, and then how he didn't get booked for the second one on on Royale, and I, I really don't know, but. I mean, Fabinho is one of those players, you know, like Rodri and, and Fernandinho, that, that seem very, very good at just staying out of the referee's book um, for these tactical fouls. And you know, it's obviously part of the way Liverpool and, and Manchester City, in particular, play. But you know, while the rules are as they are, I think you know, every team should do it more because it's incredibly effective, as a Saturday night showed. Um, it was just frustrating that, that Michael Oliver. Um, who did seem keen to kind of let a lot go, I have to say, from both teams. But it was just frustrating that he didn't get Fabinho in the book earlier because, as I said, that I think that would then, given the way the, the game was going and the way Spurs were playing, I think him being in the book early would have, you know, given really given Liverpool something different to think about. Um, and it might have affected the way Klopp, um, you know, played the game and, and, and even, you know, made his changes. So... Yeah, that, that was frustrating, I think, from a Spurs point of view. Yeah, you're definitely right. Because, you know, Liverpool are such a team where they rely on these kind of margins where it's like they need that kind of tactical foul. They need to break up the play. But they're also, you know, at the back, they play with such a high line. A lot of the time, they're basically relying on um, VAR to bail them out with, like, you know, like the millimetre lines. So it felt like we needed to kind of need things, more things going our way than on a normal day to really get at them and then post game we had Jurgen Klopp talking about the style of playing which we implemented that that's not something that he would like to coach and it's just like it did you know it really did kind of stink of the old Liverpool saltiness from when we used to actually have good games against them yeah it's just a yeah. odd one mate like football can be played in different approaches and different styles. And, you know, if you're a manager who's probably worked in the game all your life, you should have an idea of, you know, <laughs> the different tactics you're going to come up against. Unfortunately, he sort of rolled back on it now, hasn't he, saying it was all down to emotion and that after the game. But like, you know, surely as a manager, if you're if you're faced with a puzzle like that, then that's where you earn your money, isn't it? That's You have to come up with a solution to to get past Spurs and what was quite a low block and uh, defend against them on the counter. So, you know, it, it seemed like a very emotional reaction and it's not the first time he's done it. So it's to be expected, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, he's obviously wrote back on it now and, and said he was wrong and he wouldn't say it again, given the chance, which I think is fair enough. You know, he was emotional. The, the title had more or less slipped away at that point, I think, you know, and, and City's thrashing of Newcastle has kind of underlined that. Um, so it, it was a pretty uh, petulant and sour, but nonetheless understandable, I think, reaction from... A winner, and you know we, we've all seen firsthand how Conte has reacted to some defeats this season by literally threatening to quit. It happens to to the to the best managers. You know they, they talk some some real nonsense and they they, they can't deal with losing. Um, I think the, the thing which did particularly annoy me though was, you know, first of all, obviously Klopp has been pragmatic in the in the past. I mean, I think someone pointed out. They had 35% in the Champions League final, which is, you know, which shows that they don't always play on the front foot and, and dominate possession. But I think the frustrating thing was the kind of implication that, um, you know, you have to play a more expansive way with, or a more front foot way with kind of world class players. When, when actually, I think there's arguably no better way to use Kane and Son than, than in the way. Conte used them. I mean, you know, over the last few years, they've, they've kind of broken records on, on the back of playing that way. You know, last season, no one got more goals and assists than Kane in, in a Mourinho team that was basically largely playing the football that we saw um, on uh, Saturday, you know, albeit a slightly different version of that, but it was still kind of, you know, fast attacks into the space. You know, those two are, are the masters of that. So actually, I think, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're talking about making the most of your world-class players, then that's the way to do it for Spurs, um, you know, whether Klopp likes it or not. And it's not as if, like, Kane and Son's quality is all across the team either. It's not like Liverpool where you'd say, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten of their starters are among the two or three best in their position in the world, some of those top one. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was even, I was even like looking at our team before kickoff. I saw it, it as like, I think it was unchanged and it was like, okay, yeah, cool. That's, that's our best team. I have no problem with that. And then you look at Liverpool's team and just the options that they have. And it's just like, you're right. Like we, there's such a gap between us and them in terms of overall quality. Like you do, you do need to hope that just, you know, you get the rub of the green, you get some decisions your way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have an off day. Like that's the, that's the difference. Like Liverpool can afford to have the, as many as those players, they will get a win almost every week. They'll get the win nine times out of ten. They'll be in the hunt for a quadruple come May. And Bob said it was still in fifth. Like that's not down mm-hmm. to the way that we play. That's down to a lot of other factors. So whatever, whatever, Jurgen. Um, okay, I think that's enough about Liverpool. Let's let's move on to the big one then. Let's move on to the North London derby, Tottenham versus Arsenal, the first competitive North London derby at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in front of fans. Uh, Dan, I believe Eric Dyer spoke to you about that as well, um, about the atmosphere, the occasion, about the importance of that. Yeah, I mean, I think Eric Dyer said he hoped it would be the best atmosphere yet at the new stadium, which I think that there's a good chance it will be. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it doesn't get much bigger, you know, a, a, a London derby, under lights, um, uh, you know, almost a playoff for Champions League football, although not quite. Um, I think that 
even though Arsenal would still be fourth if they lost, I think there there is almost a sense that you know the the winner is the favourite for fourth or not. There, there there would be a powerful sense of momentum. Momentum swing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if it's Spurs, I think. Um, let's let's put it that way. So yeah, it, it is what it's all about. It, it has feels much like the the City game in 2010. I think that's the last time Spurs were involved in in kind of one of these mm. playoffs, almost for Champions League football. Um, uh, and yeah, this time it's against Arsenal. It's in the new stadium. Um, it, it, it's massive. And and you know, if you need any added elements, there's the fact that they you know they effectively had the game in January postponed when many think that they didn't have a great claim to do that. Um, there's Conte's future, there's Kane's future, there's the fact that it really feels like uh, a zero-sum game and that not only does the winner boost themselves, but they also uh, massively dent the other. So, so yeah, it, it really couldn't be much bigger um, in terms of the context of this season, but also I, I genuinely think potentially the, the next couple of seasons as well, or at least, you know, the the, the kind of medium-term future of, of these clubs and their rebuilds. Yeah, you mentioned that, Dan, about... Sorry, mate. Yeah. Go no, sorry, mate, you go, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that um, Spurs win that game on Thursday. They, they play next between the two teams. They play on Sunday, don't they? Yes, and yeah, then, that's a good point, actually. And then by that time... If, if they beat Burnley. I'm getting sort of icky feelings about the Burnley game as well, because that's... <laughs> uh, Burnley and Norwich look very bright, Brighton and Brentford right yeah, now. Yeah, they do, they do. But yeah, if Spurs win that one on Sunday and the one on Thursday as well, then they'll be fourth before Arsenal go to Newcastle, which I'd say that is probably the game that, you know, I, I don't think many people really expected Leeds to slip up on Sunday just because of their... Yeah, yeah. You know, they're so leads. Um, <laughs> so it was um, so leads. Yeah. And if you know, Newcastle will be wanting to end the season pretty strongly as well. So if if that St. James Park is is rocking and Arsenal need to like get back in, they need a win to get back into the top four, that mm. could be really, really spicy. But Thursday night is going to be an incredible atmosphere. I'm I assume you two are both going to be at the game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's that's gonna be incredible. And you know that 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 nature of the of Arsenal's win over Leeds and Tottenham's performance, I think could have some interesting psychological side effects because Arsenal, they, they really should have been out of sight and they somehow managed to, you know, just, it was very, it was a very emotional performance in the second half, I thought, and maybe an, an emotional reaction from their fans as well, thinking like, oh, bloody hell, here we go again. We're going to drop points from here. Um, so that might just add a little bit of spice to the game on Thursday. Yeah, I think I've talked to a couple of Arsenal fans since and they were quite concerned that they're going into this off. Like, Obviously, they have at least the momentum of an actual win and having that cushion and the fact that they could clinch it with a win. But they looked at the performance that we put in and you know, like the way that Arsenal performed against Man City and Liverpool this season has been embarrassing. I think they've played... I don't think they've won any of their games. I don't think they've been close to them in any of their games apart from that. Well, they about uh, them in one half, generally. right? Oh, yeah. You know, that half was a big thing, Jude. You know, they won half. the first half. You know, don't remember that, the know, final score. But... Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, it's one nil half time. You know, that's what matters. That so, is what matters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dan, you mentioned about uh, the response to the previous game being called off. You know, Conte's brought it up already uh, in the last month or so about how 
it wasn't really fair for Arsenal to have got it called off. I imagine that when he speaks uh, to the media before this game, that that's something that he'll get asked about and bring up again. Uh, it does feel like there's a lot of tension going into this. And I'm trying to think, when was the last time there was a North London derby that had this much riding on it at this point of the season? And I think the thing, I, the answer I came to was um, 05, 06, we went to Highbury. And we uh, and we drew one one where Keane scored and then Henri scored a late equaliser, but it felt like a win would have really sealed it for Spurs. I mean, Danny Rose. Uh, Maybe uh, that's what I was thinking. That, but it's like, did, did that? Did Arsenal really have like any title hopes at that point? Like, did like it? It feels like this is you, you said. I think you said it before. Like, this is a real six pointer. This really matters to both. And it just and it's very rare that you get to this stage of the season where that is the case in a derby. Yeah, That's yeah, no, fair point. I mean, that that was certainly Spurs were in a kind of similar position then. Um, yeah, yeah. To, to now, you know, did, trying to sneak into the top four, which they did. Um, but yeah, I can't remember really what Arsenal's circumstances were then. I'd say 2012-13 as well, though, right? When Bale and Lennon scored, and then it all sort of fell apart after that. <laughs> that seemed quite big yeah. in the top four. Went, went, se- went seven clear that game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, but again that, that wasn't... I think that was like early March. Like, get, like, it's just so rare that you get to May and we have a yeah. derby like this. Uh, I think the when, uh, you know, when Sky or BT or whoever were trying to rearrange the game, they were trying to play down that they wanted it to be the playoff. They wanted it to be like as late in the season as possible so that there was actually nothing riding on it that it was already decided by that point. That hasn't really gone what, what's happened, but, you know, this makes for a very fairly unique situation. Um, do you, th- if I if I said now, do you think we win? Like just, just yes or no answer? Yes. Yes. I also think yes. I don't want to think yes because... I hate living with that pressure and you know somebody will clip are. it up later I'm sure yeah we'll yeah <laughs> no it should be yeah. good fun like it, well good fun I mean, don't, 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 very... don't think that's the word, that's the word <laughs> it'll be very yeah it'll be an anxious stadium I'm sure and um, tackles will be flying in it'll be a good good derby I'm sure and hopefully Spurs come out on top I get, is there any chance that Arteta resorts to his old tactics of what he did last season where they're playing in 100 crosses and we just eat them all up. Is that... I really hope that is on his mind again. That was a that was nice. funny game. That, I that saw, was really yeah, funny game. I went to see them play Burnley a couple of months ago and that's all they did all game. Yeah, yeah. To Chucking in crosses to Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky with a front four of Martinelli, Odegaard, Smith, Rowe and Saka. I don't think any of them are reaching six foot on, on their own. And like, <laughs> yeah. if any, if, if they want to try and like get into a heading game with Romero, then fair play. But it does actually feel like this is a this is a game suited to Conte Spurs, kind of like the Liverpool game, but on a at least on, a, on like a quality level on a lesser scale. Because you're right, Jude. Like Arsenal do have these games where they just run out of ideas quite quickly if things aren't going their way. Like if it does feel like they, they're a team that need like the early goal to really get them going. But even then, uh, they haven't smashed anyone this season, really, I think, apart from Norwich on Boxing Day. And no, they've been good they, at grinding they, results out, haven't they? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, they're not, they're, they play quite nice football, but they don't blow teams away. And I just think that this might be another one of those games, Dan, where 
it's a matter of Spurs just hanging in there as long as possible, waiting for their moments like in the Liverpool game, but they're not as good as Liverpool. So theoretically, it should be easier for us to find a way through and to get a win. Yeah, I think it that's bang on. I think it'll be a really interesting game tactically again. Arteta's historically been very good at setting his team up for one-off games. You know, he tends to win games. You know, think of all those kind of Chelsea matches over the last couple of years. <laughs> he always yeah. seems to be Chelsea, doesn't it? But he, mm-hmm. he, he tends to sort of find a way to, to win big games, you know, when, when the pressure is particularly intense, which, which I think should you know, be of concern to Spurs fans. He, he doesn't seem to kind of crack under the pressure you know, in a sort of Guardiola type fashion when it's really, really on. In fact, he seems to rise to those challenges quite well. Um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Conte though, as as we know, is is great at also setting up his teams in these big games as we've seen in the sort of City and, and Liverpool matches. So, yeah, I think a really interesting occasion tact- tactically. Spurs will, will kind of want Arsenal to to want to have the ball um, and then they'll, they'll, they'll try and you know, do what they what they did to Liverpool and and, and attack those, those spaces you know really quickly and, and effectively um, I think that you know there's definitely a danger that Arsenal are going to frustrate Spurs I think they're quite good at that they're quite good at the dark arts um, time wasting and, and whatnot. Um, Spurs are getting better at that so you know, it, it, it will be about cool heads, I think. And yeah, I mean, no, thank God Lamella's uh, not around, frankly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be you know, fascinating. And, and, and one of those occasions as well where kind of frankly, you know, if, if there's a winner, you'd, you'd probably feel like, they're going to deserve Champions League football if someone you know comprehensively comes out on top of that game, given the stakes and the occasion. You you, you can probably say sort of a fair play. Yeah, trying not to think about the ifs and buts if we don't win, but rather mm. as probably, probably as optimistic I'm ever going to get going into a North London derby. Um, but whatever. Uh, any guys? Your any last thoughts on the derby? I mean, my, my, my sort of one big thought is that I think, you know, it, it feels very set up for Kane. Um, you know, for me, he wasn't at his best at Anfield. I, you know, I, I heard Gary Neville on his podcast saying how amazing Kane was. I, I didn't think he was at his best. It's not to say he was poor. Um, it's just to say that I thought if he had played to the level he produced against City or, or even fairly close to that level, I think Spurs would have won. Um, yeah. I thought a couple of times his touch was off and he, he dithered and he didn't spring the, the, the kind of pass as quickly as he could have. Um, he, I think he's the top scorer ever in North London derbies. Um, yes, I think that's right, yeah. Options are narrowing to get out of Spurs in the summer, given that Haaland's about to join City. So, you know, if he wants to be playing at the highest level, um, which he does... You know, he's it's likely it's going to have to be at Spurs. So, you know, it feels like it's there for him. He's been overshadowed by Son, but I think, you know, he, I, I, I'd like to see Kane be the main man on, on Thursday. And he's obviously capable of that. Yeah, he's gone a few derbies without 
won North London derbies without scoring as well. So there's a little uh, thing to get off his back there. And, um, well overdue one. That's what well I'm over, thinking. Yeah, a nice little pen or something like that. That'd be nice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Arsenal fans love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, listen, hopefully we're sitting here later in the week reminiscing about one of the great nights at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, this really kicked our season into life, smashing up Arsenal and reveling in that. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you haven't subscribed, please do. It really helps us out and leave a rating. Um, that really means a lot to us. And like I said, hopefully we'll, we'll see you on the other side. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.